You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is May 17th, 2018. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. I hope everyone enjoyed yesterday's show, a nice little roundtable discussion as we watch the NBA Draft Lottery live Gave some of our some of my reaction to it. Gave, got a couple of uh, reactions to that as well during the show. But I want to thank uh, our guests for that show: Aaron Goldstone of Orlando Pinstripe Post, Ricky Scricca of Orlando Magic Daily, Andy Harrington, Steve Garlic of the Orlando Magic Podcast. I want to thank them for joining us for our NBA Draft Lottery Spectacular. If you missed it, you can relive it, of course, on YouTube in all its mustachioed glory, or you can listen to it on yesterday's episode of Locked On Magic. Today, though, we're going to have a little bit more lottery reaction as we just, as we begin to break down what the sixth pick really means for the Orlando Magic. Um, noticed a lot of disappointment about the team getting the sixth pick. A lot of people still making the tanking arguments, which we can have that debate another day. I'm frankly tired of it. It's over. It's done. The Magic are where they're at. Let's make the most of it. Uh, but I still think it's a very advantageous position. I think it's a very good position. And then to close out today's show, I also want to start looking at who the Magic might pick with that sixth pick as I list some names that you should begin to learn and begin to watch some film on as well. But the place to start today is with an update on the coaching search. Yes, we actually have an update on the coaching search. It's not some nebulous, oh, this is what they might be looking for. It's not the same three guys that we know about this is apparently something newer. It's something that's been kind of whispered, but not from people that I would necessarily trust. I mean, I, I, I tend to give reporters the benefit of the doubt. I do think people that report stuff or, or are reporters, they do get information from somewhere, whether there's someone that I'm willing to, to aggregate or, or, or mention here. Uh, depends on whether I actually know the person or, or where that source is coming from. But we did get some information that I think has some legs to it or, or at least the reporter has some weight behind him that I'm I have to I have to note it and then I think everyone did everyone did if you don't know by now Mark Stein of the New York Times reports uh, that the discussion apparently up in Chicago at the NBA draft lottery and NBA draft combine is that the magic have indeed not only just interviewed more than three candidates the magic have indeed honed in on a specific target. I want to make sure I get this language perfectly clear because I do think that the language that Mark Stein uses is important. Mark Stein tweeted out at about 3.50 p.m. on May 16th, no team has kept its coaching search quieter than Orlando. But there is a growing belief among league insiders gathered in Chicago this week that University of Houston coach Kelvin Sampson has emerged as the Magic's prime target. This is certainly not a name that many people had on the tip of their tongues that most of us had made the connection to the Toronto Raptors, but didn't necessarily think about the connection to the Milwaukee Bucks. Kelvin Sampson is currently the coach of the Houston Cougars, got them into the NCAA tournament this year, made a nice tournament run, has made a postseason, made the NIT the previous two years, so three of his four years in Houston so far he's made the tournament, had a long stretch at Oklahoma uh, where he was very successful, included three conference tournament titles, included a Final Four run, was able to turn that into a head coaching job at Indiana. That's probably what he's most known for. Had a decent run at Indiana, made the NCAA tournament his first year, but during his second year, he was summarily, unceremoniously fired 
for uh, essentially getting caught for making impermissible cell phone calls to recruits. The NCAA violations, I've heard people say you can't sign this guy. He violated the NCAA rules. I don't care about the NCAA rules. As long as you're not cheating or, or cheating the game itself, calling a high school, I think the issue was he was three-way calling high school students and, and, and he got in trouble at Oklahoma for this as well. The NCAA rules are ridiculous and they're stupid. Uh, so I, I'm going to say that right here. It's it's it the 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 veil of amateurism in the NCAA is just very silly to me, and so it doesn't matter to me that Kelvin Sampson has those NCAA violations. Everywhere he's been, though, he has been successful. Uh, it, 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 at Houston for the last four years, he's got an 83 and 48 record. Uh, at Indiana, he had a very successful record, finishing third in his only full season there. 11 NCAA tournament appearances in uh, 12, uh, and I think it was 12 seasons uh, uh, at at Oklahoma, or a uh, very, very successful run. Uh, and most people consider that Oklahoma program to not be a very good program. So this is clearly a guy who, who has had success as a head coach, and I don't think we should dismiss that entirely, even if it is at the college game. He also brings with him a lot of NBA experience. And this is where the tie comes with the Milwaukee Bucks. After he was fired from the uh, from the Indiana Hoosiers, he went to San Antonio, was a consultant for Greg Popovich. That should tell you something there too. Uh, and then went on to be an assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks under Scott Skiles. Yes, Scott Skiles. That, that name never goes away. Under... Jeff Weltman as assistant GM, and John Hammond as the general manager. So there is that connection there. Is Samson the right coach? He isn't winning the PR battle, that's for sure. I think a lot of fans had their hearts set on, you know, Nick Nurse or, or someone that's maybe a little bit more prominent in, in head coaching searches. Uh, Kelvin Sampson, I think, maybe been uh, up for a head coaching job, but never really seriously considered for, for a professional head coaching job. I think a lot of people expected maybe a younger coach, someone who could connect a little bit better to players, relate to relate to these younger players a little bit better. And Kelvin Sampson definitely doesn't check off those boxes, and, and, and I'll fully admit that. Personally, when I saw him in Indiana, I wasn't completely enamored with him. I would honestly say those, those two years at Indiana are probably the closest thing he's ever had to an NBA-quality roster. Eric Gordon and DJ White were on that second-year team. Eric Gordon was a freshman. Um, they were okay. I, I think a lot of people f- thought that they disappointed. Uh, Eric Gordon, uh, at one point, claimed that there were there were drug problems in the locker room uh, and that Samson didn't handle them correctly because he was under so much pressure to win. And, of course, then the NCAA violations came down as well. So how much can you, that, can you hold that against him? I don't know. But it, it it's definitely hard to get a grasp on whether what Samson did at Oklahoma, what he did at Indiana, what he did at Houston, can translate up to the NBA. Obviously, he's an accomplished head coach. I think he can manage that part fine. And, and, and among all the coaches the Magic are looking at, Nick Nurse had, had head coaching experience in the G League. Uh, um, you know, David Vanderpool's never been a head coach. Emi Adoka's never been a head coach. Um Samson definitely has some some experience. Not NBA experience, but experience as a head coach. Is he the guy that's going to set the culture for this program? That's what I care about most. And 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 again, I I think I've said this a few times on the podcast here. It's really difficult to judge 
assistant coaches and differentiate between them. It's hard to say, oh, this guy does things this way, and we know that, you know, this guy's responsible for this part of this team's success. I mean, we can say Nick Nurse built the Raptors' offense. Raptors' offense was pretty good even before Nick Nurse changed it, and, you know, who knows? That offense didn't look so great in the playoffs. I could say the same thing about David Vanterpool. Uh, the Blazers' defense has been up and down, and he's their defensive coordinator. And while they were very good during the regular season this year, during the playoffs, the Pelicans were the best offense, were, or at least the first round through the first round, the Pelicans had the best offense in the entire playoffs. So how much credit do you want to give to assistant coaches? Honestly, that's not for the public to tell. Samson's going to have a tough... T- if, if Samson is the hire, and we'll probably find out in the next few days... He's going to have to win the press conference because he's starting from a hole. And and whether that matters or not, I don't know. What I do know is Jeff Weltman and John Hammond and the Magic need to make sure they've got the right guy. And, 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 and I will, you know, while I cannot say today that I think that this is the right decision, I, I don't know what the decision is in front of them. And, and honestly, part of me kind of thinks that something, something in me is, is, is kind of buzzing saying, okay, they're going to have to settle on Samson. Does that mean this magic job isn't as attractive as we think it is to get some of those up-and-coming, really promising coaches that other teams might want? Now that the Milwaukee Bucks job is gone with Mike Budenholzer gone, not that Kelvin Sampson was in the running for that, does that tip some dominoes over that, that maybe the magic could go out and get? Someone that they'd previously interviewed that was holding out for a, perhaps a better job in Milwaukee? These are kind of the questions that I have rolling in my head. But I will say this again. If Jeff Weltman and John Hammond believe that Kelvin Sampson is the best man for the job, that he has a specific plan to build a culture and turn this franchise, this program, because I'm going to call it like a college program, this program around, something that he has done at Oklahoma, something that he has done at Houston now. If they believe he is the best of the candidates that they have interviewed, then that is the right decision, at least with the information you have now. Of course, the proof is in the pudding. We're not going to know whether it was the right decision for another two or three years. And again, that decision has not been made. Kelvin Sampson has not been, at least at the time of this recording, has not been named the head coach of the Orlando Magic. Right now, it's all rumor. And it's and again, what I think is important to note, it's people in coaching circles, league insiders, believing this. Not anything from the magic. In fact, when uh, I believe Josh Robbins of the Orlando Sentinel asked Weltman about it specifically, or at least uh, Robbins said so in, in the Orlando Sentinel today, Weltman gave no comment. And that's what you expect. He's not going to comment on the coaching search. He said it's, it's, go, it's progressing. It's deliberate, but it's progressing. The Magic are moving forward at their pace, and maybe they found their guy. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they're waiting on another interview. Maybe they're maybe they're not. Maybe they're deliberating, they're deliberating their final decisions. But obviously, there is going to be movement because the Magic need to find a coach soon. The majority of the reaction that, that I've seen from the NBA draft lottery uh, results last night with the Magic falling from fifth odds to sixth overall pick, the, I would note, the statistically most likely outcome that the Magic could receive. The, 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 the response that I've been hearing has mostly been of 
disappointment. Which is fair, I suppose, because once again, the magic have not been visited by Lady Luck. Uh, certainly, and, and I will, I concede this point freely, the Magic's win on the last game of the season against the Washington Wizards cost them a 1-3 chance at landing the third overall pick. If you're going to make that argument too, I must say as well, two more wins, and the Magic would have been in a three-way tie with a 1-3 chance of getting the second pick. You can tell me that, no, you want to get as many odds as you can as you want, but the Memphis Grizzlies and Dallas Mavericks would surely disagree today. Dallas Mavericks, in fact, won that tiebreaker with Atlanta, and the Hawks still got the third overall pick. Debating that lottery, debating that tanking part is moot at this point. The Magic did what they did. They played the season out the way they played the season out. They ended with 25 wins. And now they sit with the sixth overall pick. And, and as I, I've, I've noted throughout this whole process, while I'm not, well, I wouldn't say there is a single player in this draft I would tank for. Luka Doncic is the closest, but he has flaws too. This is a deep enough draft that the Magic will get something of value sitting where they're sitting. And so I wrote before the NBA draft lottery took place, just kind of a, a statement of sanity, and, and I think it still rings true even to now, even to now, sitting at six, now knowing what's ahead of us. The magic may not be in the ideal position. Obviously, you want the choice, you want options. But sitting at six, they will get a good player if they develop him correctly which would have been the case at one or two or three or five. At six, the Magic will get a foundational piece, a player who can become an all-star, a player who will be vital to this team's future and help it continue to grow. This I have no doubt of because essentially, and, and I'll go through some of these players in a moment, essentially the Magic will likely be picking between Mo Bamba, Trey Young, and Michael Porter Jr. All three of those players have very clear flaws, and and I, I would I will continue to note that I will continue to I I don't want to focus too much on their flaws because I think that is a trap we fall into is is at least I tend to fall into or or as I play devil's advocate all the time or people tend to fall into when they look at these prospects especially especially considering after six years of lottery failure, Magic fans are kind of pessimistic right now. I hate to call you all out on it, but I sense, I see a lot of pessimism. A lot of it's warranted. I'm not going to deny you your right to be pessimistic. And I think some of this idea of the Magic need to tank or the Magic have to get the number one draft pick is frankly a, a lack of belief in the Magic as an organization to develop their players, which before Weltman and Hammond got here is absolutely fair. And honestly, the only way the Magic have experienced success in this league in their 30 years of, in their 29 years of existence has been to win the lottery or real success in this league as in competing for championships. I, I would maybe, I'm willing to define success in different ways, but 
we'll we'll leave it at that. Leave it at that. So, as I said throughout the season, I'm done relying on luck. I think that the Magic do need to really focus in on building this development culture, and that that was that was my point throughout most of the season. And Jeff Weltman and John Hammond seem like the kind of guys that will be able to do it. So now sitting at six, they will get their choice of three really good players. I don't expect Bamba to be available at six. But the guy measured with a seven foot ten wingspan. We're watching videos of him taking threes and making a ton of them. Is he going to be able to put it all together in his first year? No. But he has the potential to be a game-changing defender and a modern offensive center. It's really scary how good he could be. There are pitfalls, of course. There are question marks, of course. I would also argue that Mbamba probably has the biggest bust potential in him because centers do tend to bust, especially long-limbed, centers like him. But he is undoubtedly a really strong talent, and if he happened to fall to the Magic at six, you jump over the table to take him. Trey Young, people were filling my timeline in December and January saying the Magic gotta take Trey Young. Why aren't the Magic tanking to get Trey Young? And I told them at that time, and I will continue to I would continue to repeat that today. The magic draft into like five or six is probably where you're gonna get Trey Young. This is the guy that is the Steph Curry Stephen Curry clone in a lot of ways. Or I, I would I would argue the first player to truly play with Stephen Curry's influence in his game. His raw numbers are gaudy. And if he hits, if he can translate that to the NBA, not only is he, I think, already an elite shooter, he's an elite passer in my mind, too. He's got to learn control. He's got to learn how to finish around the basket. Defense is always going to be a struggle for him. But if he hits, that's a game changer. And you can get that at six. A lot of fans since the draft lottery ended have begun filling my timeline saying the Magic got to draft Michael Porter Jr. from Missouri. The guy who was the number two overall recruit entering college as a freshman. The guy who was really considered the number one pick before the season began. But also a guy who's coming off a major back injury. That forced him to miss almost the entire season. He came back for the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Did not look like the same player. And Michael Porter Jr. is going to have to prove to executives, to coaches, to everyone that his back is healthy. He's going to have to give up that medical information. Really, everyone's going to have to do their research on him. But it's very realistic and it's very possible he will be available at six. That he will fall into the Magic's lap. And despite my misgivings about placing him on a team with Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon already, especially if you're going to give Aaron Gordon a big contract, he very well could be the best player available on the board if he is considered healthy. I'm very, very scared of back injuries. 
But if he is healthy and if he's the most talented player on the board, he is such a smooth scorer. Tracy McGrady was on the jump earlier on Wednesday and said, Michael Porter reminds me reminds me of me. That's some pretty high praise. So, just even among those three players, I think it's very clear Orlando not only will have options, but they will have good options. And yes, it would be better to be able to consider Aiton or Doncic, to be able to consider Jaron Jackson Jr. along with Mobamba, to ensure that you get someone like the, like those players. But that's not how the ping pong balls fell this time. Still at six, Orlando is in a good spot. They will get an impact player if they develop him correctly. They will get a player with all-star potential. I think all three of those players could become all-stars, perennial all-stars. What matters more right now is doing the research and making sure they get this guy right. If they do that, they will be fine. Because the sixth pick in the draft is not a bad place to be. I went through the, those three guys, and, and I think Bomba, I think, I mean, we got a long way to go before the draft. A lot of things are going to change. A lot of things are going to happen. You're going to hear a lot of names, people coming into Orlando. Orlando's going to do their due diligence on a lot of people. I'm surprised, actually, we don't have anyone to talk about as far as interviews for the team coming up uh, or coming up at the NBA Draft Combine. But um, Young, Porter, Bomba are probably your top three guys, not in that order. It's probably Bomba, Young, Porter, for me at least your top three guys that you can consider at number six. But there are several other players that I think are very, very good. And like I've always, like I've said, there are really six legitimately star caliber players in this draft. Uh, and so I thought drafting at six, yeah, you're on the outskirts of it, but you will get one of those six or seven guys that are really, really good in this draft. And so, I, I, like I said, I think the Magic, are, they're not in the best position, but they're in fine position. If, for whatever reason, and there are plenty of reasons actually, that they don't want to draft a young or they don't want to draft a porter. There are definitely still some options that I think the Magic can consider. And I think, would while not home run picks, would be solid singles who could possibly turn into doubles. And you need those players too. And obviously the Magic need a lot. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The Magic do need a lot of talent. They need an influx of talent and they need, a, they need to find a star somewhere, develop a star somewhere. But at the same time, you got to take what the, whoever the best player available is to you. And if, if you think maybe Trey Young can't make it in the NBA or doesn't fit the style you want to play, um, I, I don't see how. I think he, he, he fits the modern NBA style really well, and you, you can change yourself to, to accommodate him. But if the, he's not your cup of tea or you're scared of Porter's back, there are still really good players in this draft um, that, that I think you can consider. The big one, of course, is Villanova forward uh, Macau Bridges. Um, Macau Bridges to me is the uh, is the is the most sure thing in the entire draft. Honestly, I would argue Macau Bridges is the surest thing in this draft. If if, if you're if you're Cleveland sitting at eight, you hope Macau Bridges is there for you to pick because that dude's going to come in and contribute immediately. Think of a a bigger Courtney Lee. Honestly, is how I think of Macau Bridges. He already has great defensive ability, and obviously he'd have to learn some NBA defense, but I think he's, he's a great defender already. 
he's already a pretty solid three-point shooter. So his floor is really high. He's obviously a junior coming out of Villanova, so he's, he's been around and he's, he's pretty close to what he is. From there, though, the question with Macau Bridges is can he take his game to the next level? That's what he did his junior year at Villanova. He went from a solid bench guy to the best, probably the best player on the clear-cut national champion. While he was able to do that, while he was able to have some big scoring games, he kind of scored in bursts. And he's a great spot-up shooter. The question is, can he put the ball on the floor? Can he create for himself? And that was something he didn't really do very much at Villanova. He was able to do it on occasion. So it's not like he can't do it. But right now, he projects more as a as a 3 and D guy. As a guy who's going to really attack off the dribble uh, when, when the rotation comes to him, make open threes, and defend really solidly. And that's fine. Like I said, to me, Mikal Bridges is the surest thing in this draft because at the very least, he's going to do that. The question is, can he get to that, that next, again, that next star level? And that I'm more skeptical of. Mikal Bridges is your classic high floor, low ceiling, which isn't bad. His floor is a good place to be. But obviously, I think the Magic do want to take... You know, the Magic aren't looking to win in 2019. I hate to burst your bubble there. They're probably not looking to win in 2019. If they get, if they do, it would be a nice... It would be a pleasant surprise. But they're looking to continue to grow and build their, their program and build their culture. So Bridges, to me, is, is the first guy I have outside that big group of six or seven. But uh, I'm not quite there with him. The other guy that I think you definitely have to... There are two other players that I want to highlight that I think you definitely have to watch. Colin Sexton of Alabama. Uh, I'm already seeing this narrative play out that Sexton is another Alfred Payton. And his three-point shooting percentage is is not good. Uh, I'll, I'll put that. 33.6% from beyond the arc. But unlike Alfred Payton, Sexton's actually a good free-throw shooter. Which does suggest that, uh, you know, I think at the at the college level when, when, when they're projecting college players to the pros... They look at free throw percentage more as an indicator of whether a player can develop a three-point shot at the pro level. And so seeing that Sexton has a decent free throw percentage for someone who doesn't have a great jumper, that suggests that there is room to improve, that that he can improve that three-point shot. What I think is really concerning about Sexton is his assist numbers were pretty low for a point guard, and they were very inconsistent. So his ability to pass and see the floor is definitely a concern. I think there's some concerns about his defense and athleticism, but... Overall, I think Sexton, there, there is something about Sexton that you do have to have to appreciate and do have to like. Um, I would say that I don't, I, I, I'm always careful to highlight a single game as an identity builder. I actually will, I actually use this example in my post on Orlando Magic Daily coming up on, on, thir- on Thursday. I think that with Sexton, that game against Minnesota in November, where he scored 40 points and nearly beat Minnesota three on five, I think that really says something about his competitiveness. And, and these are the things you can't measure, the things that you need to succeed in the NBA, to be an ultra competitor. And so I think that Sexton has that in him. I think that I really think that that he takes his game to another level and, and he, he's a guy that just doesn't like to lose. 
And you you need that. You need those kinds of players who are going to get after it, step up when the, when the time is right. And he did that in the SEC tournament. He did that in the NCAA tournament for Alabama. He's The guy's a scorer. Not a great jump shooter, not a great kind of mid-range guy. He's a guy that's going to get to the basket and score. If he can improve his passing, if he can continue to improve his defense, if he can improve his three-point shooting, then then you have a really special player and a guy that that I think that um, that I think that uh, that the Magic certainly like. I mean, I've I've certainly heard some whispers around around the building that you know the Magic might like Sexton more than they like Young. So while I continue to rank Young ahead of Sexton because because I think what Young can do. Um, it warps defenses. I saw him warp defenses in the at the collegiate level, even with teams sending double and triple teams to him. And Young's got to learn how to handle that a little bit better. But these guys are all young. They're going to get better. They're going to get smarter. They're going to they're going to learn their reads and what they need to see. But I I, I, I there is something really to like about Sexton, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Magic did take him over Young if if that came to be the choice. The other guy I want to highlight is Duke center Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, you probably noticed I have not talked about Marvin Bagley III. And, and, and the reason is I am not high on Marvin Bagley III. Uh, I've gotten into some debates with people who are really high on him and they say, oh, this guy's going to put up 16 and 12. I'm like, yeah, he'll put up, yeah, probably. He's got, Marvin Bagley III is probably going to put up 16 and 12 his rookie year or 16, 8 or 9 or something like that. He's going to score. He's going to fill up a box score. But the question to me with Marvin Bagley is, does he actually help your team win? Because the Magic have a guy that averages 16 and 10. And the Magic are trying to get rid of him, for, for, all, for all we know. I mean, Nikola Vucevic puts up numbers, but none of us are consider, confusing him for the center of the future. And Marvin Bagley ain't a center. I think Marvin Bagley's a power forward, and a traditional power forward at that. He's not a three-point shooter. He's, he's, a, he's adept at scoring in the post, and I think he's, he's got that, those skills, and and I think he'll score, but he's to me, he's kind of like Julius Randle. Like, where, what do you do with him? You know, obviously he can produce and he can score a lot of points and, and do a lot of different things, but is, is he really a guy you want to build around? Is he really the player that takes you to another level? Or is he just a guy that puts up, num- that puts up numbers? And so when I look at Duke, the guy that I really like and the guy I think that's actually going to be a better pro than he was a college player is his his running mate, Wendell Carter Jr. Wendell Carter Jr. averaged 13.5 points per game, 9.1 rebounds per game, added 2.1 blocks per game. That's what you want from an NBA center, to be honest. He's a little skinny. He's got to put on weight, what, what rookie doesn't. Um, but he, does, he did all the dirty work that Marvin Bagley did wasn't able to do or didn't want to do. And he did it in his own defense, which doesn't tell you a whole lot, but he did some yeoman's work. And he, he's a grinder. And that I think that's what you really want at the center position. We're seeing centers get played off the floor right now because they can't guard the perimeter. While Carter is not a supreme athlete as far as being a rim protector, he's obviously a good enough shot blocker. And I think that he can move his feet quick enough to get out on guards and, and, and impede them. So this is a guy that's not going to go after the highlight blocks, but you know I think he's what you kind of envision Tristan Thompson to be. Just a guy who's going to work the glass, defend, and score when you need him to. But what's different about Wendell Carter Jr. is, is, is he does seem to have a jumper. 
He does seem to have a little bit of a jump jump shot. Shot 73.8% from the free throw line. Again, that's a sign that your shooting form is very good, especially from a center. 73.8% is fantastic from a center. On top of that, though, he also made 19 of 46 three-pointers, 41.3%. That would seem to suggest that Carter might have the ability to step out to the three-point line, and that would make him infinitely more valuable. Will Wendell Carter Jr. ever be an all-star? Probably not. I don't think that's quite his ceiling. Will he be a dependable starting center who defends, who rolls to the rim, who pops to the three-point line? Yes. And that's valuable in and of itself, too. Again, what I think is really important with the Magic's pick here at six, if you can get a foundational piece, great. Get a player who's going to start. Get a player who's going to be a piece of the puzzle. It doesn't have to be the piece to the puzzle. It has to be a piece to the puzzle right now. Because you, you can still figure out a way forward. The Magic are still kind of stuck in salary cap hell, like I've said. So right now, the Magic just need to focus on getting the best player they can. And obviously, like I said, they have some, some very intriguing and interesting options to do so. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank everyone again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Like us on Facebook at Locked on Magic. And, of course, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the fun places you download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. I know you all are watching the NBA playoffs, so please check out the great podcast on the NBA Podcast Network. Want to, little, want to learn a little bit more about what the Golden State Warriors do after they lost Game 2 to the Houston Rockets? Check out Locked On Warriors. Wanting to hear the revelry of the Rockets defeating the Warriors? Check out Locked On Rockets. For a global perspective, be sure to check out Locked On NBA as well. You can find all these podcasts on iTunes. Just search for Locked On and the team you're looking for, and you will get that podcast onto your podcast-enabled listening device. I want to thank everyone again for listening Of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, we'll have anything if the coaching search breaks, but we'll also take a look at six players the Orlando Magic could pick. I named a bunch of them here. You can can learn a little bit more about them on the website at orlandomagicdaily.com. Of course, we'll have updates on the coaching search and the NBA Draft Combine at on Twitter at omagicdaily. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossenreich. I will see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.